are geek-centric, and you can be too. What's up, geeks? My name is Kev, and welcome to the Geek-Centric Podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, well, we're starting your year off right. We are Geek-Centric, a podcast covering the world of movies, TV shows, toys, collectibles, gaming, and all things Geek-Centric. Now, I may be breaking the unspoken rule that you shouldn't say this after January 6th, but to hell with it. Here's wishing you a belated Happy New Year. 2022 was an interesting year. Both myself and Justin saw the birth of our daughters, and as you might expect, we're already starting to pave the way to making them geeks, just like their dear old dads. The year also marked a full-fledged return to the theatrical experience, as several movies put up some big-time, old-school blockbuster numbers. And speaking of old school, the source of those undeniable hits came from none other than Tom Cruise and James Cameron. What year is this? The television experience also continued to transform as about 37 new streaming services joined the growing trend, and as a result, we got some amazing new series, spin-offs and reboots, and some finales that were either too soon or long overdue. As the calendar turns to 2023, we can also start looking forward to what is a huge slate of exciting movies coming our way over the next 12 months. And so today, we're coming at you with a very special episode. We'll be taking a look back at the year that was 2022, highlighting our highs and lows of the last year in entertainment. We'll also share what we're looking forward to most in 2023. So prepare your neural whips. Uh, that's Pandora speak for those hair braid thingies. Fire up your <laughs> F-14 jets. And stay the hell away from acting in any movie starring Margot Robbie if you want to avoid a flop. This is our 2022 year in review and our 2023 look ahead. Now, today's show is exciting because for the first time in geek-centric history, all five geeks are on the program at the same time. This could be chaos. This is like an Avengers team-up movie as we're all coming together to share our thoughts on what was an exciting year. Justin, Nate, Meg, Darcy, how the heck are you? Ahoy, ahoy. Yeah. Oh, <gasps> you stole, stole. You stole his line, dude. I stole it. Oh. I stole it. Oh. Yes. Starting off the year with theft. I see how it is. <laughs> wow. Wow. I'm doing good other than that, I guess. Yeah, we're starting, off on a, we're, we're starting off on a bitter note here. I like it. Yeah, like that's it. my biggest disappointment of 2023 right there. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, on a bright note, other than that little the incident of thievery, 2022 was actually a huge year for Geekcentric. We put out 145 episodes over the course of the year while seeing our audience grow, listens grow, all of those fun things that, uh, that get us a little excited, if you will. We put out more movie and TV reviews than ever before while also getting a chance to attend some pretty cool events, including special screenings, premieres and conventions. And we also added interviews to our repertoire, getting a chance to talk to the likes of Sam Raimi, Sam Richardson, Doug Jones, Bonnie Hunt, Daniels, Stephen Lang, just to name a few. That with so many incredible moments, I thought it'd be fun to ask what your favorite episode mm. or experience or moment was from the oh. last year of Geek Centric. Okay, that one I wish I knew ahead of time. <laughs> uh, I, well, I, I know I'm kind of throwing you guys for a loop here. We weren't prepared to answer this question, so I think I can I can answer uh, this question uh, really quickly. It's twofold. Uh, first, as a as a lifelong wrestling fan, uh, I got to stand in the same room. 
about 10 feet away from the man himself, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Uh, That was amazing. You could feel the electricity off of that man. I could smell what he was cooking. Um, So that was kind of uh, a childhood dream come true, if you will. Uh, And also getting to talk baseball with Sam Raimi uh, before and after the interview that we did with him for Doctor Strange was also a really, really cool once-in-a-lifetime moment that uh, I, I I will not soon forget. So many, so many pinch me moments, I think, uh, this year, uh, especially for, for some of the interviews that we got to do. I think two that come to my mind immediately. Uh, first off, Michael Giacchino getting to talk to, I, I got to say, you know, maybe only second to John Williams, my favorite composer uh, ever. Michael Giacchino has just composed. He's the GOAT. He's the GOAT. The modern goat, he's done so many incredible scores. Uh, and just getting to tell him how much I loved his work from Up uh, and from Lost, uh, my favorite television show ever, uh, was phenomenal. So Michael Giacchino, I think for me, was probably the tops. And then getting to have some nice sort of uh, lovely chat with uh, with Larry the Cable Guy um, I thought was so much fun hearing him literally just do the Mater voice, which is just his voice, but still doing the Mater <laughs> voice uh, out of nowhere and, and just getting to hear him talk about his experience of, of bringing his kids to Disneyland uh, and them hearing his you know Mater character around the park uh, was just surreal. So it was really, really cool getting a chance to talk to those two legends. That would, that would be, like, super surreal, I think, for his kids. And, I mean, even just for you, Nate, um, you know, you've talked about Michael Giacchino so much on this program in various podcasts. And I will continue to do but, so. <laughs> so when we heard that the opportunity was coming up, I was so excited for you that you were going to have that chance. And uh, I think that's that's one thing we're all sort of relishing with this experience is, is not just getting to talk about movies, but getting to talk to some of the people who... Uh, who make it all possible? It's definitely uh, a really, really special thing. Dars, how about yourself? What do you, uh, What did you uh, enjoy from the past year? I mean, I mean, I know I'm, I'm speaking for Meg and myself, kind of here. I think because we haven't really dabbled in the interview section just yet, but we both got our chance to go to the, the convention, Fan Expo, this year uh, as press, and that was a really cool experience, getting to oh, yeah. interact with some of the artists and, and other people there. And I found that that was probably the most memorable thing because I've been going to those conventions for so long as a fan, so mm-hmm. being able to walk through a special door with that lanyard and then be able to talk to the people and they were willing to take the time to, to listen to us was really neat. So that was that was definitely a memorable moment for me. Awesome, yeah. You slap five letters on a badge, press, and and people are like, these guys are a big deal. I'm gonna, I'll give them the time of day. It's <laughs> like sweet. We we fooled the heck out of them, and we'll continue to do that in the, we would, in the years. We would use it to get to the front of bathroom lines. It was it was great. I hadn't thought of that. That might be the, the tops there. Uh, Meg, as the the newest member of the geek centric team, uh, what was something that uh, brought you some joy from uh, joining the team this year? For sure. I would have to agree with Darcy. Going to Fan Expo was a really incredible experience. Not only being able to chat quickly with some of my favorite artists um, as an artist myself was so, so cool. But also being in the same room as Elijah Wood was like a really epic (laughs) moment. And also being in the presence of Giancarlo Esposito was 
Took you to Life church. changing. Took you to church. <laughs> yeah. <Whoa. laughs> yeah. Speaking from experience, and I'm sure I can speak on behalf of uh, Nate, Justin, and Darcy as well. That was a really wild experience. Um, but <laughs> Not other like than most that, panels, for sure. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, but other than that, I would say being able to get these like screeners ahead of time to watch some content that I really, really love you know, before the public gets it is like a really fun feeling. Um, specifically, The Bad Batch. We got quite a few episodes of that ahead of time. So that was really fun and it felt really exclusive. And if I could just quickly add on to that, um, we had the opportunity to watch uh, a lot of these episodes, not necessarily in the same room because I, I don't live in the same province, but just over the Discord. And just, I have to say, Megan... It's just such a joy to watch your expressions and your facial reactions <laughs> to anything that we watch. And there, don't get me wrong, there are times where you know we'll we'll want to tune it out. But at least for for watching during the Bad Batch was just fantastic, and just the the it just made everything so much better. I'm glad it didn't ruin the experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, and with with you know the face of television kind of changing, and there is no. There aren't that many moments where everybody will sit down and watch something at the same time anymore. You're sort of watching it on your own schedule. Some people will binge it. Some people will wait. And so that that chance to watch something sort of exclusively or whatever, to have that special feeling surrounding watching something again it is always a lot of fun. Uh, but we saved our final uh, little story here for the godfather of geek-centric <laughs> himself. Just what was what was your highlight of 2022? I think the biggest highlight of 2022 for the podcast is is this is all five of us uh, as a team collectively doing this and and bringing our our perspectives to the things that we love. Uh, you know, like like Meg was saying, like being able to get things early so that we can add value to the conversation beyond just the spoiler filled because we love our spoiler filled. Don't get us wrong, but spoiler free is is definitely a a fun time as well. Um, and yeah, all of the interviews that this this past year gave us, uh, absolutely amazing. One of my favorite interviews, I think, was with Hayden Christensen, um, and, cool. and coming so through cool. with that with that conversation, <laughs> and you know, uh, coming up with questions. I know Nate, you helped me devise that that dad question, and it just it it hit me. So I was like, man, this will be great to ask that question of someone that I I you know I respect and you know idolize to a certain degree because he he is Darth Vader um so <laughs> that was that was pretty pretty amazing but but everything that we've had in terms of opportunities this past year have been amazing um and it's a huge thanks to our friends at at Walt Disney Studios Canada Netflix Canada uh, all the PR people that have been kind enough to take some time to learn a little bit more about us and, and get to know us, it's it really means a lot. And, you know, going into Fan Expo, we've, we've gone to Fan Expo so many times, but going as, as obviously a, a new batch, if you will, and, you know, we're, we're going in with a new sort of presence and, and uh, that really did seal the deal because that's the sort of stuff that we love to cover. And, you know, coming back and being able to sit down and, and talk about that in the podcast, but different from when we used to do it as, as YouTube video, but we still made some video content. Um, but I really enjoy how the conversations just get to keep going through this platform. So yeah, I think, I guess it's a cop out, but all of it is for 20 <laughs> Yeah, that, it's, just, it's a safe answer, but it's a good one. Uh, but you know, I think that's enough praising ourselves. Uh, I think it's time uh, that we start to talk no, about shit the on some movies now. No, on, well, no, 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 I think it's, no, let's talk about the things that brought us here. The reason for geek centric sure. in general, 
Uh, I think we should start by talking about our favorite movies of 2022, with such a wide array of movies this year, from big-budget blockbusters to indie success stories. I'm very curious to see what movie resonated the most with each of you, uh, and we're going to start this one off with Darcy. Yeah, I mean... This you, you you gave us a list of questions, and I don't think I've ever had a harder time preparing for an oh episode of this podcast because <laughs> looking back at the year, it was huge, and I forget half of it and barely remember the other half of it. So it's a very weird mix because so much came out. But uh, thinking back, I think the one that definitely stands out to me, and maybe it's because he is my favorite character, but uh, Thor Love and Thunder was my favorite movie of 2022. Uh, I know a lot of people didn't like it, and a lot of critics were you know kind of crapping on it a bit but I liked it because it was such a standalone film and it had a really strong core value of family and again, maybe it's because we grew up in such a big family Kev but that always hits home for me and I love whenever movies make that a forefront in their story so that one knocked it out of the ballpark for me Thor Love and Thunder favorite movie of 2022 and I gotta say Darcy I, I gotta have mad respect for you know, I, I, we love to call you our resident Marvel expert uh, our Marvelpedia if you will um, you know and I think there's so many people that I hear who who love the the Thor comic books uh, and the the Mighty Thor run, and to hear that you actually came into this movie uh, and this story with sort of an open mind, you didn't go in there saying this needs to be identical to the comic or I'm going to hate it, and the fact that they were able to give you something that you found to be your favorite movie of 2022 is awesome, and I think it just it's it's I'm really happy that that's the case for someone who does love that run of the comic so much. Oh yeah. For sure. I mean, my favorite splash panel from the Marvel movies this year is definitely the kids fighting the darkness yes. at the end. Oh, yes. It was so such a good, good moment. And I, I was I was cheering for them in my seat. It was it was great. And like that's moments like that are what I, I remember from the year clearly. And that's why Thor was so good because it changed. And again, it changed what it, we know from the comics. And MCU is no stranger to doing that. So if you're going into these movies expecting the comics, you're going to be sorely mistaken because... The one thing MCU does well is adapt the comics in a completely new way. Yeah. Yeah, I think the the simplicity of the story, you know, we're, we're dealing with something in the MCU. I would agree with you. I think uh, it keeps it really simple. It keeps it focused on, on, on the story of Thor rather than doing the universe building stuff. And that's very, very similar to the movie that I chose as my favorite movie of the year. 2022, this was a hard list. 2022 gave us some of the best in-theater experiences uh, on my list, I had like the Batman, obviously Top Gun Mavericks. Lightyear was incredible in, in IMAX. It was unbelievable. And of course, Avatar The Way of Water. But it's unbelievable to think that we also got some great movies on the streaming platforms. Well, all three of them are from Disney+. Plus, So I'm, 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 I'm talking about Prey, Chip and Dale, Rescue Rangers, Turning Red. These were all movies that, that really did resonate with me. But there was one movie that I always came back to. And it was one that was in the indie circuit and it grew mass appeal based on word of mouth. And that is everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, I think this movie got the multiverse right. It delivered a story that is incredibly imaginative, totally original, while also keeping the focus on a central theme of love that is so relatable to, to everyone in the audience. And I think that that, again, going back to Thor Love and Thunder, the simplicity, keeping it focused on, on, on something that the audience can really connect with. This movie had you feeling everything everywhere all at once as it mashed up, you know, comedy with 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 moments of that would make you cry and, and tension and horror. It, it, it mixed it all together to create what I thought was the best movie experience. And you take all that, you add a cast like led by Michelle Yeoh, who 
killed it so different from anything else that she's ever done. We have the return of Kihei Kwan literally stamping this movie with his I'm back. I, I love it. it. It's it's so good. Stephanie Hsu was so great as the villain and Jamie Lee Curtis was both hilarious and terrifying. The Daniels did an amazing job writing this story, telling this story. I have to applaud them for, for giving it their all and really coming out the other end with the best movie of the year for 2022. And, and Kevin, as you pointed out, I had the opportunity to sit down and, and chat with them. And that was definitely another one of those highlights, especially coming off of seeing that movie. Uh, you and I, we went to see it at the, at the Real Asian Fil uh, Film Festival uh, a couple days early before its uh, small release. And the fact that this was a small release that grew throughout the theaters and, and really did expand. It's, 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 it's such a celebratory moment for this, for this film. And this is the sort of stuff that you want to see. So yeah, best movie of 2022 such an incredible success story it's such a it was such a surprise kind of out of left field thing it wasn't anything that i had seen a trailer for leading up to it uh and it really was by word of mouth and i think that you're right justin it speaks so strongly to how good the movie is that like even though the, the there wasn't necessarily as much marketing behind it it was just everyone saying like you have to go see this movie and Dude, yeah, Ki Hu Kwan was was so stellar in this movie. I just, I really hope this is that was his sort of, as you said, his coming back to to film. And I'm and back, baby. I yeah. want, I want so badly for him just to be in something in the future. I want to watch it. The comedic moments, like the fact that they had moments where I was like laughing, and then the next scene I was crying yeah and then the next yeah. scene i was crying from laughing and then the next scene my mind was on the ground because it had melted out of my ears because of what was being shown to me on the screen it's just so creative uh and just shout out to rakakuni uh because just what a moment absolutely incredible film holy God. it was my number three it was my number three i just got to shout it out well you, you said it's your number three i can't wait to hear what uh number one is nate what do you got well, you know, I think uh, that was definitely uh, maybe one of the A24 films uh, that I absolutely enjoyed this year. Um, I also think of another sleeper hit of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies was so fun this year. Um, it was such just like a fun trip into how, you know, sort of that demographic of people think in, in sort of uh, some of the darkest ways. Um, and I will say... You know, I also had Top Gun Maverick as such a great movie theater experience. Just absolutely like I literally watched the first Top Gun on in the car on the phone. Like I started at home and then couldn't we had, ran out of time. So I watched it on the phone on our way to the theater uh, to see Top Gun Maverick. And it was such a phenomenal experience. Just how Tom envisioned uh, you would watch that. Movie. Exactly. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> well, listen, hey. Listen, there we go. I, 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 it was the older one. I thought, you know, it's not going to live up. And I, I do think that Top Gun Maverick is actually a better movie. But um, I will say Black Panther Wakanda Forever from Marvel this year was so stellar. Uh, Turning Red, I watched probably five times in a row. Uh, but the movie that I'm actually, I can't stop thinking about, also from A24, was was so lovely. Um and uh, and and it it honestly hasn't left my mind since I left the theater. It's it's a it's an incredible, lovely story about a shell named Marcel. Uh, Marcel the shell with shoes on. I know it's a bit of out of left field, but I, I am just, stunned right now. I just it was such a heartbreakingly 
heartfelt experience. Uh, and if you know me, you know by now that you, the fast track to your way into my heart is to make me cry. And this yep. movie, like five times in a row, like just does the trick to think that a YouTube sensation from the early 2000s could make its way to the big screen is mind-blowing. But Dean Fleischer Camp and A24 really crafted a film that truly and deeply connects with anyone who's ever lost someone. And I just, it was just, I, coming out of that theater, it, it's a very similar feeling to the feeling that I had of watching Coco for the first time, which was I just wanted to hug every single family member that I had as close to me as possible and just hold them close and tell them how much I love them and I care for them and I you know thank them for being a part of my life. Um, the performances from Jenny Slate, um, Isabella Rosalini will just melt your heart they're so charming. Uh, and the story is surprisingly deep for a movie about a stop motion animated shell with a googly eye. <laughs> it's just unreal. Um, music by Disaster Piece is whimsical and poignant. But it also, the greatest part about the score is it takes time to sort of step back. And sometimes just the, the, the audio just leave you in silence in moments that need to leave you in silence. Um, and there's, you know, I talk about it all the time, but bookending. And there is probably one of the most subtle methods of bookending through audio. I'm not going to spoil it if you haven't seen the movie. But the moment I noticed it, I almost broke out into tears uh, at, you know, at the end of the movie just because of that. Uh, and <laughs> Kevin just giving me the constantly shocked face of like, no way, you <laughs> cried? Um, but this movie keeps the same comedic charm as the original YouTube shorts. Uh, and the other thing that's great about it, unlike how long I'm ranting about it, this movie's short. Uh, it's it's only an hour. It's uh, it's like what is it? It's not three hours. It's it's an hour and twenty nine minutes long. Um, so if if you want to see a movie that's going to leave you with a lasting impact, it's going to make you again want to grab those who are closest to you and hug them and just tell them how much you mean they mean to you. Um, please watch Marcel the Shell with shoes on. It's absolutely fantastic. I'm I'm not surprised by that choice. I'm not surprised. I mean, it's, I, I, it's, once it's I good. figured out where he was going, I was kind of like, really? I'm I can't. That is that is a neat movie if I've ever if I've ever seen one before. So yeah. it's it's got animation, it's emotional, and it's a twenty four. That yeah. is a, a, a lovely <laughs> lovely choice there, Nate. Uh, Meg, how about yourself? What was your favorite movie of the year? Well, Nate, one of the reasons I love that you love Marcel the Shell with shoes on is that. It is technically an animated movie, and I love how animated things can make such a huge impact when there's no human face or human emotion being portrayed to you in live action, but it can still almost strike a chord more than a than a live action movie. I find that happens to me most of the time. And <laughs> my favorite movie of 2022 does not disappoint in that aspect I didn't see enough movies last year I think I was trying to narrow down my list and I didn't have a very long list of movies I've actually seen but I think this one would have been the top no matter what and I'm gonna go with you two of you have already said it turning red it was a feminine nostalgic punch to the heart and the gut the story hits so close to home both physically and emotionally. <laughs> um, mm. I loved the way they portrayed Toronto to all of us and being able to see the little Easter eggs throughout the entire movie 
from like 90s culture in Canada was incredibly beautiful and really it meant a lot to me as a viewer because you know Domi she is from Canada but she made sure that everything in there was correct um all the way down to the money like we got monopoly money over here because <laughs> um, I love that they did that it was gorgeously animated with inspiration from anime which I love that Domi she added to that um I also love that it was an entirely female driven film um the writing was absolutely hilarious, but also emotional, heartfelt. And it was a film that came out with the parent saying sorry. And we, sorry, like a Canadian. Um, <laughs> we we don't get a lot of those. Usually it's, you know, a, a parent saying you're not doing this correctly. And then the kid has to, I guess, uh, rise to the occasion. Where in this film, um, May chose her own path and her mom said I understand and I support you in that path so Pixar doing it yet again uh hit me in the heart mm -hmm. hit me in the emotion I loved every single second of it but that's what Pixar does right like that is yeah. Pixar's <laughs> thing right is but not only just to bring across the emotion but I think what I love about to your point with with turning red is that it takes so many different aspects that can relate to so many different people so that it kind of casts such a wide net and that's really Pixar's bag like they they really find a way to say hey you might not be you know uh, uh how old was was May you know like a 13. a 13 year old you know Chinese Canadian girl but you you might be a 32 year old white guy from Canada who can <laughs> still connect with her on a lot of the things that she had to go through growing up and the idea of you know sort of uh, wanting to create your own path in the world and leave your parents while at the same time how scary that can be and and how you want to respect and honor them for everything they've done for you and everything they'll continue to do for you uh and you're right we we normally get villainous parents on the disney side uh or no parents at all on the disney side yep. <laughs> uh and so for pixar to sort of give us this sort of generational uh, storyline similar to uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, yes. I thought was just such a, a fantastic sort of, they're almost like a great one-two punch. Like you might want to watch those one after the other. Oh yeah, for sure. They, they both deal with very similar themes. There's, there's a lot of talk about generational trauma. Um, yeah, they're, they're both very similar and it's crazy uh, that they both came out in around the same time. Um, but yeah, I love this movie. I've watched it numerous times. It was like in my top three Um I think it just does such a great job of mixing the various types of animation from a technical standpoint, but also from a narrative standpoint, it, it is talking about something that is very uh, honest and, and, and a true perspective about, you know, um, someone growing up in, in, a, in a country for, and coming from an immigrated family. And I think that's so relatable Absolutely. to, to so many people. Um, and I think that that, that it's point of view is what I appreciated the most about Turning Red. Um, I think it, it that's probably one of the reasons why it, it, it has stuck with me over 2022 and has resonated with me so much. Well, and I think what's interesting, you know, looking at my own choices, is Turning Red, you know, Pixar is just so reliable for doing great work and and while also transforming the messages and the, the audiences to which those messages will, will resonate with, they... 
it's it's expected from them. And so when they can deliver at those high levels of expectations, it's always that much more satisfying. It must be such a huge challenge for them after, you know, 20 years of, of you know, people building these expectations for them to still find a way to surprise and delight fans to that level is just such a, it just goes to show what an incredible filmmaking team they have there. Um, but my choice is is almost the opposite in that I had no expectations for this movie and was absolutely blown away. Uh, I've gone, I had a few choices, movies that I really enjoyed, but were they the best movie that I saw this year? Um, but I settled on uh, a bit of a surprise for even myself until I looked through the list of movies I saw this year and went, oh my God, of course. Uh, and it was The Menu. Uh, this movie Whoa. subverted all of my expectations. Uh, it was completely different, both tonally and narratively than what I was expecting. Uh, this movie's just like the perfect recipe for, for a fun time. Ray Fiennes as the main course is on absolute fire. We're talking peak Ray Fiennes here. Anya Taylor-Joy and Nicholas Holt mixed together to have this awesome, almost negative chemistry and really start the whole experience off right. You add in dashes of a supporting cast featuring Paul Adelstein, Janet McTeer, John Leguizamo, and especially Hong Chow for that campy, robust flavor. Uh, a terrific <laughs> score blended with a bizarrely loving homage to cooking and food makes for the perfect accompaniment. Altogether, uh, this was a recipe for a zany, over-the-top dark comedy that surprised me in all the right ways. Uh, it's likely not the best movie of 2022, but I never mm. expected this movie to delight me quite the way it did. It, would you say that the writing uh, in the movie was better than what you just said? <laughs> uh, I, so I'm guessing you're coming at this from you did not enjoy the movie. No, no, no. I'm just saying you, you, the way you articulated the the ingredients yeah, what would be the of the film. Yeah, would, would the accoutrements incredible. be like the music and, well, the, and I mean, stuff like that? Well, I mean, it's 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 amazing the simplicity of it being set in in one single mm -hmm. area and yet being in one single location and yet pulling out so many different flavors. So much, yeah. I mean, it really is <laughs> just a testament to the. The culinary uh, <laughs> film ability. Okay, you see. No, I gotta stick to my script. Don't give me. I love it. I love it. Kevin. I love it. Uh, <laughs> no, I. I was. It was one of those ones where it kind of passed me by. Um, I think you know we get pretty busy on the podcast with sort of what we what we sort of choose to take on. It's our own fault. Uh, D Justin likes to say I'm the Kirby of the group uh, because I'm just, <laughs> you know, give me all the content, yum, 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 yum. Um, and so sometimes it'll get us a little too busy to then go out and see other movies that maybe we don't get assigned. But uh, the menu was definitely on my list to check out. I still want to check it out. I think it's still playing in theaters uh, as of Didn't right now, maybe. Didn't it yeah, I just Did saw it, just it towards the end of December, so it, it's wow. probably still, uh, oh, you know, okay. in in Because I remember theaters. hearing about it for like a long time. I'm wondering if it played yes. at a festival or something like that, and maybe that's where I initially heard about it. But probably going to be hitting streaming platforms pretty soon, mm -hmm. uh, based on based on the timeline. Um, I think it might already be out to rent. I think it's on, on Disney on Plus. Digital. Whoa. Okay. I know what well, I'm watching. I mean, after as this. I'll always say, if you have a chance to pay to see something and can do it, always do it, guys. I know the streaming thing is awesome, and you pay your monthly subscriptions. You've earned your right to watch whatever. But if you ever get a chance, especially for something that is a smaller budget, an independent film like this, because what this whole conversation for favorite movie of the year made me realize is so many people say, oh, the blockbusters, they've ruined cinema and they've taken over cinema, and there's no room for these smaller films. Well, 
listen to the chat we've had here and and the movies from A24 and, and other smaller studios. I mean, because Tom Cruise went and put a billion dollars into a theater, we can still have these smaller movies and, and have them made. And, and I think it's really unfair to comic book movies and movies of that sort. It's really unfair to say, oh, they're hogging all the space and they're the reason smaller movies can't exist. Look at what movies are going to be nominated, both at the Globes, for the Oscars coming up. There is room for both, and you need both, I think, not just to round out your cinematic experience, but to to have theaters still exist, because not enough people are going to go see Marcel exactly. in a shell with shoes on to keep theaters in business. We need both to get both kinds of movies. Sometimes you want to have your boxed wine and your really expensive American cheese, and you pair them together Create such a wonderful um, (laughs) embanche. I made up that one. You're welcome. It sounded real. I like it. It sounded French, and therefore it must be culinary. I like it. (laughs) I can confirm that the menu is available on Disney Plus. There Uh, we go. Okay, sorry guys. I I tried. I tried makers of the menu. I tried. (laughs) Well, but you know, not everything comes out Mm. into the theaters, including what we're going to be talking about next. I think it's a perfect time to move uh, from the big screen to the small screen and talk about our favorite TV show of the year. 2022 saw fan favorite Walking Dead end its 11-year run, while the Netflix hit Wednesday danced its way into our hearts. So I'm asking, what was your favorite small screen gem? For this one, I'm going to kick it to Nate to start us off. Oh, my gosh. All right, well, I'm going to list all 38 here uh, that I have noted. (laughs) Uh, Here we go. No, I'm just kidding. I honestly, Darcy, you were saying at the top that this was like such a hard thing to do. And I will say it was difficult for movies. I think it was for me, at least, even more difficult for TV and for streaming this year. Like I feel like what's just we're just a re- like a repeating record of of you know last year of just like last year we were saying this is the year for TV this is the year for TV <laughs> of 2022 <laughs> was phenomenal it was just that we got so many phenomenal series we got so many phenomenal you know shows that came back I think Barry uh, was so phenomenal The Boys season three was so phenomenal mm. we got another season of Only Murders in the Building. Uh, yeah. we, you know, Rami season three, but then we had some like phenomenal stuff that sort of just premiered. Like I think of Severance near the beginning of the year was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course, our beloved Star Wars shows of Obi Wan uh, and and Andor, and even Boba Fett was pretty good too. All right, just you know, it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> that bad. But but I don't know if it needs to be on the best of list. But um, <laughs> I will say, you know, the bear was mind-numbingly incredible just such a beautiful surprise but for me uh my top show uh my top series of 2022 uh was house of the dragon uh house of the dragon season one had a very daunting task which was not only to bring back westeros and bring us back there and bring us back to game of thrones at its peak but it was to to bring us back to a time where we we saw Game of Thrones as the best thing on television, and for a lot of fans, with that final season being, you know, for me personally, a, a little bit disappointing. But for a lot of fans, it was like, 
oh, it was the worst thing in the world. Burn it to and, the ground. Right, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> on, uh, I think the final episode has two out of ten no. on IMDb for the, the audience score. It's not, that's not that, it's not that bad. But I, I can see how a lot of fans, like this was such a huge thing to say we need to get this right. And not only did it live up to the best parts of Game of Thrones, but in a few ways, this series, for me, I think exceeds the original show. Uh, the best part of House of the Dragon is the way is the pacing, <laughs> the way it manages to give us so much setup for big moments in the show, and then in 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 still a very rewarding way, give us the payoff in the next episode. And it doesn't feel like it it, it fell short of that. It, I know for a lot of shows, sometimes we'll be like, "Wait, they set this up in the one episode, and then in the same episode they answered the question." It didn't really feel like a a full story but here just the way that they managed to set everything up they managed to fast track that game of thrones feeling and it felt just as thrilling and tantalizing as the original series the entire cast young and old give stellar performances millie alcock is such a phenomenal delight and i cannot wait to see what she does next but i think they just do such a good job of another thing that i love about game of thrones which is they make you both love and hate characters in the same season. But the difference is, is unlike someone with like Jamie Lannister or the Hound, we didn't have to wait, you know, six, seven, eight seasons to have that feeling of I love this person and I, or I hate this person and then switching back and forth. They did it in one season. And it just, for me, it just felt like all the incredible things that they, they, had, they brought from Game of Thrones all boiled down into this really tight, finite package and then you just top that with the cherry on top that is the music by Raman Jawadi, which is still so perfect. But then you can hear Rhaenyra's theme weaved in and out of the original score. And it's just like, come on, dude. Like every single week, this was, I have to talk to someone immediately about this. I'm so upset that we didn't have the time or the ability to do a watch club for it. But, you know, whenever the next season comes out, I really think we should. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's funny that you mentioned the pacing because as a fan, me and Kevin, when we're driving to work, we listen to audiobooks occasionally. And one of the ones that we really enjoyed was Fire and Blood, A History of the Targaryens, which was the basis for this show. And that book flies through the years so quickly just to give you these really epic moments in the timeline. And what I really liked about the show uh, was, yes, that pacing was great, but it also managed to change things for a fan of the, the books and the written by this Meister who had accounted all the Targaryens through history and what happens to them. They still managed to find a way to tell the story in a new, new light and with little twists and spins that still fit within that original canon, which I love so much. So yeah, definitely a see why you like that show so much. It's, it's, it's a great addition to the Game of Thrones universe. So good. So good. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, Nate, that the hardest part of that was getting fans to buy back in after being so invested and being so disappointed. For it to be my favorite um, viral clip of the year was the person filming on the street of an apartment building and everyone's TVs flickering at the same, at the same time. time. Clearly they were watching the show. And they, so you know, good. we talked earlier about how that doesn't happen very often. And this show did that. It was weekly like this was the show that i couldn't wait for it to be nine o'clock to sit down and watch as soon as it got on uh it was it was definitely the the tv event of the year uh but i'm dying to know what some other favorites were why don't we go to meg what do you got for us I'm so thankful that you came to me because I'm worried my favorite may be other people's favorites, and I want to say it. 
Um, I will just honorable mention give to uh, the Rings of Power. I personally thought it was an unbelievably beautiful show. Um, I we love that buzzword cinematic, and this was that in a word spectacle. It yes. was a spectacle for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll also give a little honorable mention to Moon Knight being the best Marvel anything to me that came out last wow. year. Um, wow, it was such an acting clinic for Oscar Isaacs and it just goes to show how Star Wars did not use him very well (laughs) Um, for my actual favorite series um, this came as a shocker to myself but it was requested by a close personal friend of mine to watch this show Um, more so for my partner than for me but I found myself enveloped in every single episode could not wait to watch the next one but also wanted to give it time to to brew and to sit in my brain and that show is the bear a series that i never would have clicked on on my own but was an incredible display of art the performances the cinematography the direction the writing the set decoration etc 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 like every part of this show was unbelievable I bow down to Jeremy Allen White, who played Carmen, the lead character. He is like, I couldn't believe he was even acting. I thought it must have been some sort of just like there was a sneaker camera somewhere and he was living his life. It was so, so genuine and natural. Any Every single actor on that show sounded like they were just improvising. It didn't sound scripted at all, which is, uh, uh, you know... It's a statement to the writing that it didn't yeah. feel like it was written. Um, I'm also just going to say, no spoiler, but episode seven. Episode seven, <laughs> dude. Mind melted. The greatest. And I'm, I'm patiently waiting. The greatest for episode of its kind in television history, bar none. Episode yeah. seven. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you talked about a clinic of acting for Oscar Isaac and, and Moon Knight. I think f- this series, The Bear, for, for Jeremy Allen White, it, it, it was a clinic of acting. It, yeah. he, he masterfully uh, puts on this believable persona. Um, and I think you're right. I think it's a testament to maybe the writing, but I, I think I think the, the, the life. It, yeah. it feels like they're living it. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like they must have studied kitchens, busy kitchens, and, and watched and, and gained all of that. And, and the writer, you know, the writer worked in kitchens, and, and right. you can absolutely tell it's so authentic to the actual experience of working in a kitchen. And this, I was getting flashbacks to my days behind the line, just like, oh, my God, it's the dinner rush. I'm not going to make it. Like, it's so yeah. real. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's what I've absolutely. heard, that some people who used to work in kitchens or currently work in kitchens have a hard time watching that show because it is so real. Yeah, and I love that that it, it's coming from a real place, but their performance drives that tension. Like the fact yeah. that like you can write you can write those moments, you can write those scenes, you can write those words, but if they're not acted like the conviction that these actors act with, then it's just not going to work. Like they are so believable in their role. Like the bear really does deliver on on being a, a, a clinic of acting, like you said. I think that's a great analogy for it. And these characters, uh, you know, I, I just talked about House of the Dragon giving us characters that over a season, you know, you sort of, I don't like them, and then you do like them, or you, you do <laughs> like them, and then you don't. And it's interesting with this group, because I, I don't think by the end of it there wasn't a character I didn't like, but I, I very much 
at first, the way they talk, it, they feel like they're pushing you. It feels like they're pushing you away so much until you start to grasp the understanding that this is how they talk. This is, if you want to, you got to start talking this way. You want to be part of this group. You have to sort of force yourself into this group of, of people and, and start understanding that you're, this is just how it is. You're just going to have to sort of align with them in this way. And I think speaking of keeping up with them, I think Ayo Adibiri, uh, Adibiri does a phenomenal yeah. job of just sort of, you know, stepping up to someone like, uh, like Richie, like Eben Moss Bacharach, like just in the way that they're able to just go back and forth and share these blows. And by the end of the season, I just was like, okay, season two, I'm ready. Yeah. Like I was kind of, I was kind of wishing cause it very much feels like the kind of show that you sit down and you're like, you're like, Oh, I've never heard of this hidden gem. And unfortunately, because it was so good, everyone was watching it, you know, right away. And so it's not like you can just click on to the next season. Like with me, like with Dave, I was so stoked because I was like, oh, I'm, I'm watching Dave. And then Dave season two is right there for me. I was ready to go. But with this one, I just was left and I'm just like, no, like give me the next season right now. It's so good. And just a quick little shout out. I love that Maddie Matheson is in it. He's super mm -hmm. funny and so weird, but it's cool to have a real chef on the show. And, and he's I've a never, producer. And I've never been a fan of his like pers TV personality on on the cooking shows or anything. But he is. Yeah. He was like, I wish he was in it more because he was one of my favorite <laughs> characters in this show by far. Uh, so I hope we see more of him. Okay, so we're on a roll here, guys. For my short list that I had selected. Two have been named already from my shortlist leading oh, yeah. in. We're on a roll. Let's see. I'm going to break the trend right now, I bet. I'm shooting it over to Darcy. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I love my fantasy series and my serious Star Wars stuff. Anything that is, you know, not on the lighter side of things, but I have a very soft spot in my heart for comedies and sitcoms. Those are my favorite pastimes. I like to, when I watch stuff, I want to kind of escape all the downers in real life and go into this fantasy world where everything is funny. And so like coming to mind, favorite shows are like Community and Office, Parks and Rec, you know, shows that kind of revolutionized or kind of flipped the sitcom on its head. And to me, one of the ones that had returned this season, of course, uh, was What We Do in the Shadows uh, with their fourth season was absolutely incredible <laughs> to me. And that is definitely my favorite series of the year. I The fact that Baby Colin was not something that I hated and was able to, <laughs> I was looking forward to the next stage of his growth cycle and how him and Laszlo would interact with each other was absolutely incredible. So that was definitely a standout series for me this year. And I, I can't wait to see what these crazy vampires of Staten Island get up to next season. And, and before we open up the discussion a bit more, I do want to have an honorable mention for uh, Welcome to Wrexham because I'm not a biggest sports yeah. guy. I'm very much a, 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 a you know book reading nerd and stuff like that. But Welcome to Wrexham was so enjoyable because of how real and down to earth it was. So that definitely gets a strong second place in my books because of how real and heartwarming it is. I have a quick question Great for show. you, Darcy. Have you yeah. seen Our Flag Means Death? Of course I have, yes. Okay, oh, yes. I wonder so if good. I haven't so seen that yet, and I feel like it would have it been is, one of my oh, favorites. So. It, yeah, Reese Darby is amazing, and then just the cast they have for filling out the rest of the pirates are enjoyable. I mean, Hodor, if we're talking about Game of Thrones, Hodor yeah. is a pirate uh, yeah. in that show, yeah, yeah. and is incredible. So, Is, is that 2022? Yeah. Yeah. Is that 2022? Yeah, that was. Oh, actually, it was. That was yeah. also on my short list too. But what we okay. do in the shadows, it's just it, it yeah, keeps sure. coming and, and hitting it home. Um, our flag means death was so much sweeter than I and like, like, 
beautiful even and to sad be. yeah. that I, yeah, that exactly. I it, so Tragic. much more than I yeah. ever expected from it. I can't wait to yeah. see where they yeah. go with that one. But with what we do in the shadows this season, Darcy, it was one of those things where I actually, this year was the year that I decided to get into it. And so I was, I did have the luxury of doing the binging thing that I was just talking about um, and getting to binge all the way through and then into season four. Um, dude, it's just, it's such a, a, a kooky, zany, fun like little sort of like just sort of treat it's it's not anything that's gonna like I, I it hasn't for me personally I it, it never really does get to the place of like those moments of the office where you're like oh like you want to cry like it doesn't get you there but that's okay like for what it is it's just absolutely delightful and I will say it's it's one of those moments where you get a series out of a movie that I personally think is 10 times better than the movie itself. Like, I, I oh, honestly really? didn't enjoy the original oh. movie that much. Uh, and I think this series is absolutely incredible. That's Sorry if that's like a hot take. Jeez. I'm just going to have to not be able to say anything because that, oh that would hurt me a little bit. I love both, <laughs> but oh my goodness. Uh, well, we're okay. So now we're okay. We're three for three. Can we make it the perfect? Can we round out my top five without taking my choice? I, I don't know. Maybe. Justin's the the dark horse here. I don't know. Maybe I, I don't know. I, I think you're a fan of the show that I, I've I've picked, but uh, I, I'm not sure if you actually watched uh, the latest season. My favorite series for 2022 is actually the final season for this series, uh, which is a spinoff from another beloved television series, and I am talking about Better Call Saul season six, uh, which is a spinoff from the Breaking Bad series that we know and love. You know, this was absolutely fantastic. You know, television at its best. The whole series was so great in that it really told the story of of Saul Goodman and how he started as Jimmy McGill to become the con man, the lawyer, the person that we know in Breaking Bad that becomes involved with Walter White. They did such a great job of showcasing his background and his story and also continuing the themes from Breaking Bad. Like for me, you know, the relationship of Walter White and Jesse Pinkman, it's kind of toxic. Like they're bad for each other. And I got to say, in, in Better Call Saul, they continue that theme. You you see how the relationships that uh, Jimmy has with with his brother, with his coworkers, with his girlfriend, they're, they're bad for each other. And you even see this, you know, reflected in the stories of Gus and Mike, um, you know, who are also primarily featured in this series. This final season really did a great job, though, of closing out the story of Jimmy McGill and feeding into how he becomes Saul Goodman. You know, Saul Goodman is is a con man. And, and that's what you kind of get to see throughout these six seasons is how much of a con artist Jimmy McGill was and how he becomes Saul Goodman. I also really loved, though, that you know, throughout the later parts of the season, we got these uh, story points told through black and white. These black and white moments actually take place after the events of Breaking Bad. So this, the season does a really great job of using color and black and white to give each side of the story a different vibe. Um, you know, as we know from, from just the series itself, 
it is its own vibe. It has that early 2000s VHS, very surveillance. You know, and Breaking Bad had a lot of the same vibes, very retro tech, if you will. And Better Call Saul continues with a lot of that aesthetically. And I just loved how they differentiated the two stories of Jimmy McGill becoming Saul Goodman as color and then the post events of Breaking Bad in black and white. It was just so smart. Um, the writing from from Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould was top notch. They really knew how to flush out Jimmy's character and really give poignancy to important moments that would inevitably define him as Saul Goodman and justify why he takes on the name of Saul Goodman. Bob Odenkirk gave one of his best performances in this final season and it is such a shame that he hasn't gotten the recognition. This this show was great. I, I absolutely loved it. And, uh, you know, it's sad that we're seeing the end of what I would call the Breaking Bad universe, but they did it so well that, you know, again, after spending six seasons with Jimmy McGill to understand how he's this con man, how he's out for himself, in the end, he proves that he still has heart and he still looks out for those that he cares about. So, flawless. I'm, I'm honestly, I, I was blown away by this this series and the series finale, uh, which is why it is my top favorite of, of 2022. Well, it's so interesting that, you know, people were sad to see it go. They, it, it, that's a show where it was like, listen, we've told the story. We're going to finish on top. You know, I mentioned Walking Dead earlier where people are like, can this show just freaking end, please? You know, because it fell so far from its heights. Whereas this show knew what it had. They probably could have gotten another couple seasons out of it. And they were like, no, we this is the story. We're going to finish when we should. And it's always awesome to see, you know, creatives go, listen, we, we want to stay true to our show here and not just stretch it out for the extra buck. And so I always really appreciate that. Uh, and it kind of makes me think of my pick here where they are really reaching for the extra buck and, and trying to find as many different sources for uh, uh, getting views as they can. I'm going with the Yellowstone franchise. Uh, so I joined <laughs> oh. the Yellowstone party quite late. Uh, I didn't even start the series until the summer of this year, or I guess by 2022. Uh, by then, t t uh, Taylor Sheridan had crafted four brilliant series of his love letter to all things cowboy. Uh, and so he's even though season four's finale took place in 2022, and the first few episodes of season five did air this uh, in December of 2022, that alone wouldn't be enough for me to consider it the best show of 2022. Uh, but what really put it over the edge for me is how surprisingly good the two spin-off series for the Yellowstone franchise, uh, which either aired or debuted in 2022, have been. Uh, it's amazing that Sheridan has been able to carry over the same grit and charm and powerhouse character work that made Yellowstone resonate with audiences uh, and bring it to two completely different eras, that he's able to tell such drastically different stories in both the late 1800s and then again in the early 1920s, and yet still have them feel so authentically Yellowstone is no small feat, all while enriching the lore of the Dutton family legacy. Uh, I, I've loved these two spinoffs. Honestly, I really hope we get one more of this miniseries-style uh, mini show set in maybe the 60s or 70s. There we can see a young version of Kevin Costner's John Dutton learning the ropes of what it takes to be Montana's most famous and ruthless cattle rancher. Uh, honestly, Taylor Sheridan uh, is is one of my favorite writers on TV. I'm, I'm loving his um, Tulsa King with Sylvester Stallone. Uh, but what he does on Yellowstone, rip uh, 
played by Cole Hauser, is my favorite character in years. The guy it just reeks machismo. He makes me want to be a manlier man, even though I could never fill his boots. Uh, but yeah, I'm loving all things Yellowstone. I am all about that. Boom. You really ripped into that rip. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 like, rip? <laughs> like, I thought you ripped something. He gets me excited. <laughs> I get a little something. fluttery yeah. when he's on screen. What can I say? It's <laughs> <laughs> um, a show that I haven't even gotten into, but I, I think it's it's almost like Breaking Bad in, in a similar sense. I, I, I mean, guess it's, a more bit... like, it's more like Sons of Anarchy on horses. Okay, that's a good that's a yeah. better analogy. Yeah. That's how that's awesome. how I kind of view it. Uh, even though it's it's a bit slower, it's a bit of a slow burn. And I know a lot of people are like, I couldn't get through three episodes, and I'm like, it didn't give it enough time. Uh, honestly, by the by the halfway point of that season one, I was like, I am all in on this show. I mean, I'm a big Kevin Costner Rip. fan. <laughs> Rip! I'm telling you, Rip is the man. I could gush. On it. My my sister in law was in town over the holidays, and we gushed over Rip for we gushed over Rip hours. We love that man. Awesome. Um, but before I embarrass myself any further, uh, it is safe to say that not all was right with 2022. Sometimes we can't always get what we want, like a little more Rip. Uh, now we're going to look at the things that most disappointed us in 2022. Was it a movie that just didn't deliver the popcorn thrills we were expecting? A show that ruined the legacy of a favorite character? A video game that just didn't quite resonate? It's time to air those grievances because after all, the new year is the perfect time to move on, onto bigger and better things. Uh, now, Meg, seeing as you're generally the beacon for optimism on the show, <laughs> I thought it would be really fun to have you lead off this category. What disappointed you the most in 2022? Oh, and if you're close to me, you already know. <laughs> I, I was not shy about telling every single person I knew that enjoyed Marvel how disappointed I was with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Woot woot. I am not going to say anything about Sam Raimi. He's just not my cup of tea. It's not my style, but that's a taste thing and has nothing to do with the way he directed the movie. There's a certain writer that had his hands on this movie. <laughs> we interviewed him. Uh, you did. <laughs> he took way too many liberties with too many different stories and, in my opinion, obliterated all character development that was made with my favorite female Marvel character. Wanda, the Scarlet Witch, her transformation was so epic in WandaVision. And I know timeline-wise, this is sort of where I get frustrated with Marvel because they're trying to do too much too fast. Exactly, and yes. the whole thing with this movie and WandaVision was that they were in the process of filming WandaVision when Michael Waldron was starting to write Multiverse of Madness. So they hadn't even really developed her unless he took the time to read their scripts um, <laughs> to give him the guts of it all. I there's so much I don't like. <laughs> well, he, can, can I I want to just jump in really quick and say this is also my disappointment of 2022. OK, is the multiverse of madness. And I think a lot of it does stem from the writing perspective. And maybe it's not that, as you were saying, that he didn't see the scripts. I just think he didn't want to waste any time. And I would have loved to have seen, you know, you know, I'll just go full spoilers here, but I would have loved to seen Wanda with 
the Darkhold a little bit more to see how it corrupts her mm -hmm. and took her over and gave justification for the character that she was in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Because I think her character, to be where she was, um, I get it, the series did a lot, but I, I don't think it did enough to show the corruption that she suddenly you know, felt from, from the Darkhold. If that end credit stinger was all that was meant to be, like you see her playing with it, it I don't know. It just it wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. But th a huge disappointment in terms of everything that came, even just from the perspective of everything that came in Spider Man and No, and no Way Home. It, yeah. it was, it was the kickoff to the multiverse, and we thought they were really going to go the distance here with, uh, with with Doctor Strange, and they they kind of played it cool. Like they didn't go the distance. It was it was more of a selling point in the name than anything else. And yeah, character development was so underutilized. We we went we talked in like great detail about america chavez just being so like oh here she is there you are there's there's america and chavez you know what i mean like you know and and they they gave like really general like here's her background here's here's her thing and i don't know it just it felt it felt sort of rushed to your point like it felt like things weren't really and and maybe that was like removing the necessity of detail because they just needed to speed things up i think it's apparent that you know things are missing well and you know when you talk about america chavez it's them introducing a brand new character and underutilizing the crap out of her like of course, she has yeah. such a cool backstory and they barely showed a flicker of it and now all of a sudden i mean if you haven't seen it don't bother but <laughs> um, <laughs> they all of a sudden now she's just like training to be a sorcerer it's so stupid what a dumb thing to do with her but also <laughs> I, I'm just really frustrated with the representation of, of Wanda as a woman and a mother because her reasoning for jumping through to different multiverses was so stupid. It was, well, what if my boys get sick? What if I can't save them? I'm sorry. You're the most powerful being. Like you would be, you'd be fine. You've got, you could do whatever Ugh. you want. There's this so many where, other like, reasons. <laughs> having having a and not all men are like this at all but having a male voice writing a female story is frustrating to that point you know he, he doesn't know when anything they get about being a mom yeah yeah you could have just not focused on that part of it or don't have her be such a focal point of a doctor strange movie that's my other beef with this is it was labeled a doctor strange movie and it's like less than half about him. I mean, walking out of that movie, I was also incredibly disappointed. First off, that music fight scene was so unnecessary. Oh my and probably God. one of the cheesiest <laughs> things that Marvel has brought to the big screen, in my opinion. That was all Raimi. Sam Raimi. That's Raimi's fault. That's that's a Sam Raimi yeah. thing yeah. for sure. Yeah. That just, that, there's a, he's, he's done some cool things, but that music scene is not one of them, in my opinion. But another thing, too, is the fact that Kathana is supposed to be this big, bad, evil character. And he's managed to coerce Wanda to his dark side. Why can't we get any of his whispering in her ear or exactly. just a little image yeah. of him like, like corrupting her? That was the big thing that they didn't explain and immediately negates all character growth from the last one because you don't understand why she's doing this. You don't hear Cathan saying, you'll get your kids back if you do this. But like you're whispering these these tempting things to uh, this hero. It was so, so unnecessary that she just was doing it for the sake of her kids. It just didn't make sense like you're saying. So yeah, huge disappointment. I agree with you there.
It's like if if 10 minutes after Frodo got the ring, he became Gollum. Like, it doesn't, it was way <laughs> too quick. Like, there's better ways to do this, you know? And and take, take like you were saying, Meg, I think you you're, you really hit the nail on the head with the aspect of you're, you're really just trying to fast track this situation to benefit what the the multiverse as a whole, Doctor Strange, because he really didn't. Um, and and I think you know I bring it back to the 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 Star Wars world, right? And we look at someone like Anakin Skywalker and how they took their time to bring him to a place where it was a little bit more digestible that he would become Darth Vader. And so I think, yeah, I, I, I it's crazy to me because one of my favorite things that Michael Waldron has done, which is Loki. Um, was I think was fantastic, uh, and clearly I think he he did a great job writing that. So it's like, how did what what happened here? What happened with with Wanda? How did this, how did this all fall apart? You think it's you just think Sam Michael Raimi? Waldron's writing Pizza Papa? No, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but... Sam Raimi, man. <laughs> no, but he. I think they. I think they improvised that. I think Sam Raimi had him come on. You know, probably Waldron. You know, inserted something in the script. You know, put special appearance here. Uh, and, and, you know, they improvised it on set and it just came to be something like that. But I think with this movie, you know, the, the biggest problem is it really does come down to things missing to justify the means. It's It just, it didn't, and it's it was very self-serving. Like when we talk about something like Thor Love and Thunder and the simplicity of the story and the idea that it didn't need to push big universal elements that were s significant for the MCU and it f stays focused on, on a story about family and, and heart. That's refreshing in comparison to what was supposed to be probably the big door opener for the multiverse. And I don't know, it just, it didn't land. I think that that's kind of when I th think back to movies that just didn't live up to what I was expecting. The Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness definitely comes to mind. Because I think, Nate, you chose it last year. As like your oh, it was like a, one I was looking forward to the most. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Well, Anymore. and I wonder if some of that expectation comes at a, a fault of our own. We all expected yeah, this sure. movie to be a huge thing for the future of the MCU. That's when you put multiverse in the title. Like, what do you want me to do? Yeah, but you also <laughs> but, put Charles Xavier in the trailer, well, my guy. Come so on. So this is where yeah. I was going with that. That they they did fan service. They put these characters in this movie that we were all waiting for. And they showed almost every single one of them in the trailers before the movie premiered. And to give us that and pull it away was like a huge jokes on you moment. Like... Haha, <laughs> laughing in the face of all Marvel fans. And that's more disappointing than it just like not living up to the story. It's like you've, you've yeah. put Xavier in his yellow chair in front of us. You've put a very specific actor as Mr. Fantastic. You've put an animated Captain Carter now in live action for us with the original actors who played Ma uh, Peggy. And then you rip them away from us because you don't care. <laughs> That's well, and when like. when you follow up from you know Spider Man No Way Home, which which really started this Oof. that trend of multiverse and and the and the fan service or whatever, and that's how you follow it up. I mean, when I hear somebody say that Thor: Love and Thunder wasn't good, but M Doctor Strange was, get out of my life! I, never <laughs> I don't respect your opinions at all. But somebody whose opinion I do respect uh, is the man I'm going to shoot it to next, Nate. What disappointed you the most? What broke your heart in 2022? You know, I don't get, um, I don't think I get disappointed too often. 
I, you get let down. I, you get let I, I down. I think get though. let down. I think, but I think you know, for the year that was 2022, um, a combination of things led me to not be disappointed in too much. I think it's a mix of all the horrible things going on outside of the world of movies and TV shows and games, along with general positivity of like. Like, you know, trying to, like, put yourselves in the shoes of where are the people that that sort of make the stuff that falls short, where are they coming from, what are they dealing with, and all that stuff, right? Like, it's always in my mind for some reason. I don't know. Um, but I will say, there was something that did hurt me pretty badly. <laughs> and that's the fact Spence. that one of my favorite limited time sandwiches, the McDonald's McRib... <laughs> came back in 2022, marketed as possibly the last time ever, and they didn't bring it to Canada. Okay? What do we have to do, McDonald's? Right? Why, as Canadians, are we being punished? Why didn't we get at least even a warning last time that this was going to potentially never be available again? That's the marketing they're giving us, possibly for the last time. This is a sandwich that is up there with the shamrock shake and, dare I say it, even the Rick and Morty Szechuan sauce of legend. And yet <laughs> it's, it's going to go away and you don't even – you have the audacity not to give it to Canadians who, by the way, pay more for McDonald's items than the U.S. Trust me, I've bought McDonald's in the U.S. You can buy like a family of 40, as many chicken nuggets as you want for <laughs> under $10. <laughs> And I just, I don't understand why they didn't even give us a proper send-off to the McRib. Instead, we're left mourning, trying to just, you know, make our own. We'll never be able to make our own McRibs in the kitchen. Are you crazy? <laughs> YouTube videos can't help us. It was such a disappointment. I am so terribly disappointed and so sad that the McRib is just gone. It's just gone. You can make a McRib at home, though. I don't think I, I, I could. I, I, don't, I, can bear, I don't even think I, I could know, make a sandwich. <laughs> I'm going to try and make you a bloody McRib, Nate. It is my Please. new goal in life. I, I am pleasantly surprised here. This is my first surprise of 2023. I did not expect to get a food rant on our best of, worst of show. Uh, I have, like, when you when you asked earlier, uh, does it have to be a movie or TV show? Can it, can I go outside the box? I was not thinking you were going outside the little square cardboard box that would hold the McRib to get that answer. That is Awesome. To, I know I said Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness was my biggest disappointment. I do want to give some honorable mentions because, hey, let's Why give not? some honorable mentions for other things <laughs> that are, are of, oh, that were also kind of I disappointing. <laughs> dishonorable mentions. I love it, Darcy. It's a thing. Um, Meg, I, I know you said Lord of the Rings, the Ring of Power. But I was significantly disappointed with that show I in, agree. Comparison, in comparison to uh, what the movies did. Um, I think it, it loses itself in the idea of being a spectacle and being really like the biggest thing that you could ever have ever watched on television and doesn't focus on the story that is there. It's just really drawn out. And I, honestly, I think when I look back, it was something that I was kind of like, it was a bit of a disappointment. I think that show was hurt by, by airing at the same time as House of the Dragon. That was yeah. the worst possible time that show could have come out. For the contrast, I don't think that helped it at all. I think you're right, but I also think it did make for good competitive television, uh, you know, with streaming services and, and like that idea of like who's who's getting more of the views. Um, sure, but I don't what, think they which, should which be compared because they were two drastically different shows and people were trying to compare them and that wasn't mm -hmm. fair. I, I definitely don't see a comparison between the two, but I know that I enjoy the fantasy world of of Game of Thrones over the Ring of Power just because everything was very over-the-top dramatic. And I guess it's, uh, you know, it's it's very Tolkien-esque in that way, but 
I gotta say, like Willow is better than the Ring of Power. <laughs> I agree with that and, as well, and, and I and I stand by that. I stand as by a that. fantasy series debuting in twenty twenty two. I would actually agree with that, but I do think the the it's it's some of the most gorgeous. Uh, I think stuff we got on screen in the small screen. I Spectacle. think I think it's absolutely the music from from Bear was absolutely incredible. Um, but I do think that the 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 there was a problem with pacing with that show absolutely um and i also don't think like just like we were saying with marvel of doing too much too fast i don't think they needed to to give us as many yeah. reveals as they did i don't think you know yeah. what i think hey you've got you've got such a large cast maybe slow burn hold, it. yeah hold yeah. off maybe don't give us the harfoot yeah. story in the same season as you know the orc story is the same season as you know like maybe just take yeah, your time with stories. it and and mm-hmm. you don't need you to get it, to yeah. that big reveal so quickly you've got but a isn't lot that what they were doing in the movies line. you're following multiple different stories multiple events happening sure but you also have the fellowship of the ring which establishes the group and then at the end of the fellowship, they break up and divide. And now for the remaining two movies, and then you're able to track their stories and where they were. But here you're being introduced to so many different people across Middle Earth. And I love that. I love that idea of community and, and painting that picture of what Middle Earth looks like at that time. And eventually they're going to come together for sure. And they're going to come together. But And maybe we were talking about this offline, yeah. but breaking up the season into shorter miniseries that help tell the stories of in and around the Middle Earth that they're, that they're in this period of time. I think that could have could have been something that could have been explored rather than trying to cram all of these, what was it, uh, 10 episodes, uh, if I'm not mistaken, maybe nine all into you know over the course of nine weeks it just you lose some of that 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 the, that connectivity these are all fair points but justin you're breaking the rules we said very clearly one <laughs> you each. said breaking your own rules like if you want me to go into a diatribe about how once again 2022 was the year of disappointment for toronto sports teams i will talk to you <laughs> for the next five hours but the rule was one i'm cutting you off there i'm moving to darcy darcy we're really what, what McRibbed you in 2022? <laughs> um, okay, so again, going back to the home, my, my, my happy place in comedies, there was one, again, I had Lord of the Rings as one of my disappointments, but we've, we've aired our grievances with that already, so we're going to move on. But again, going to comedies, as a fan of Superstore especially, uh, Blockbuster, I think, was my biggest mm. disappointment of 2022 because that had such potential for a lot of fun movie references, like community style with tongue in cheek, you know, the, the, this mm. quirky cast of characters helping their local, you know, fans of movies and stuff like that find new gems that they can't find, uh, that they've never seen before. But it was just so flat and, and undeserving. I mean, I gave it a pretty warm score in our review because I was hopeful for a season two. And now that we know it's after that one season, canceled after that one season, it was just garbage. And yeah, that, not that show it. could have been set in a subway for, for like, yeah. it, it, had, yeah. it had nothing to do with, with movies after mm-hmm. one throwaway line in the premiere. Yeah. It could have yeah, been set yeah. in a McDonald's and they could have brought the McRib back and I think it would have been <laughs> way better. Um, but no, Darcy, as, as the, the co-host on that uh, on that review, it was kind of like I felt the the back and forth, the push and pull of you just being like, but please, maybe they'll do a better chance, yeah, I was... a better chance in season two. And then they're just like, nope. Netflix just shoots it right in the back of the head and it dies faster <laughs> than Blockbuster actually did. It's just <laughs> brutal. Brutal. Because the cast, mm-hmm. I think that I think I will say, and we talked about this on the on the review, the cast was strong. I it was do great. Think the I cast wanted to great. watch more of them. I was growing yeah. the characters are growing on me. It's just the setting and the jokes 
weren't hitting because they weren't fitting the setting they were in. It was just, it felt like, it could, like you said, it could be anywhere. It didn't have to be a blockbuster. And that was a huge missed opportunity. And you have to imagine if Superstore season one was originally a Netflix thing, we probably wouldn't have gotten that series either at this point. Yeah, probably not. Right? So so to be fair, um, but no, I, I share your disappointment with that one for sure. For sure. I mean, Netflix on its own could be a big disappointment, I think, for a lot of people for 2022. I mean, I think people are going to stop investing in their shows if they keep canceling them. Now, sometimes it's the right call when it's a show like Blockbuster, but they've been (laughs) canceling a lot of shows that people have really, really liked, and that's not sitting well with people. Um, So it'll be interesting to see. At least Wednesday, just you and I were talking last week about how, like, how have they not announced season two? At least they're bringing back Wednesday for fans of that show. Um, Now, Nate's answer did surprise me. Uh, It was very surprising, and I didn't know where. I think my answer might be surprising as well, because I'm going with a horror movie. And anybody who listens to the show knows that I don't like horror movies, and so it's like, well, that's, well, duh, but no. When horror's done right, when it's not just a straight jump scare horror movie that makes me afraid to go in my own basement or afraid that my wife is going to hide behind the bed and jump out and give me a heart attack, when it's mixed with other genres like comedy or whatnot, I really like it as a medium. Cabin in the Woods is one of my favorite examples of that from Mm -hmm. over the last few years. Now, there's another horror trilogy that's come out over the last five years that started off with so much promise. The movie I'm talking about is Halloween Ends. The reboot quill horror trilogy by David Gordon Green and Danny McBride started off so promisingly. It was the perfect blend of an homage to the original iconic horror series with a much-needed update to the tone and narrative of the story. It was punishing and gory and also somehow fun. And I actually liked the follow-up Halloween Kills as well, way more than most people. While it wasn't nearly as strong as the first entry, it still had enough surprises and signature Michael Myers menace to lead me to believe that a satisfying conclusion was all but a guarantee. And then Halloween Ends happened. While there was a buttload of reasons the movie just sucked in general, including a romance angle that was so bad that nobody possibly could have found it engaging, it might not have been such a bad horror movie if it was called anything other than Halloween. How do you have a, a movie in this franchise that doesn't feature Michael Myers for the entire first hour? Whoa. And even then, you only have him show up for 15 minutes of the whole movie. Whoa. Not to mention, not to mention, Jamie Lee Curtis seemed to forget she wasn't making everything everywhere all at once anymore. <laughs> as the level of cheese and corny she brings, which don't get me wrong, that works tremendously well in everything everywhere. Right. But it does not work when she's playing the Lori character, the character that basically all but defined the resilient, ass-kicking final girl character way back in the 70s. This movie was a mess from top to bottom. It took the promising start that the franchise reboot delivered and dropped a big, stymie, uh, a big steaming dump all over it. This wasn't just <laughs> the most disappointing movie of the year. It was the absolute worst movie I saw last year, and it wasn't even close. Oh, I'm wow. still mad about that, man. I'm fuming. <laughs> Jeez, he's getting yeah, his mask that's, that's ready. That's the ultimate. I'm Mick Rib yeah, over here. He's got yeah, the Michael yeah, yeah. Myers There's mask Rib, in the Mick background Kevin there. Right he's going yeah. to rip <laughs> someone to pieces soon. Oh, my gosh. That was a good uh, Kev's rant. Oh, Kev's complaining yet. <laughs> I'm never living that one down. The Mick Rip, as they might call it. Mick Rip. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> all, right. all right, I'm having none of this. Uh, I think that was a lot of fun to kind of poop on some of the things that disappointed us in 2022. 
Uh, and you know what? I think we're going to wrap it up for our talk on 2022 until, of course, our Oscars coverage. Uh, as always, we're going to have lots of fun in the weeks surrounding the award show extravaganza. So stay tuned uh, towards March for all of the speculation and pageantry. But until then, it's time to look forward to the future. Legacy sequels, highly anticipated video game adaptions, and more comic book movies and TV shows than you could possibly imagine. What are the geeks looking forward to most in 2023? Let's find out. Jayla, we're shooting it to you first. What has you the most excited? Jeez. Jeez. I like is this is a tough one. Um, in the movie front, there's just so much that's coming out next year. You know, I, I was saying last year, Mission Impossible, uh, which is now, I guess, being called Dead Reckoning 1. I was very excited to see that smart move for Tom Cruise to uh, push that to 2023. Uh, I think it could probably be another billion dollar uh, domestic. I think it could be another blockbuster hit for 2023. Um, but definitely looking forward to to Barbie, Oppenheimer. Uh, in terms of live action, but most of the ones that I'm like really yes. excited about are actually in the <laughs> world of animation. I'm, I'm 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 very much looking forward to this Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, uh, which is produced by Seth Rogen. Um, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. I hope he's Splinter. That'd be great. Oh, that'd be um, awesome. <laughs> but um, the the I think the one that I'm I'm super super stoked about because there's so many great movies that are coming out but uh, across the spider-verse yeah. um, mm -hmm. i am i am very much looking forward to seeing this movie and seeing just just this story continue um i loved it i love the original so much I've, I've watched it so many times like sometimes i just put it on and it's just such a well-crafted animated animated movie that that feels rightfully cinematic but also just so of its genre. Do you know what I mean? It embraces the animation genre so well while also trying to just showcase it in a, in a new way. And I think Across the Spider-Verse is going to very much continue that and I'm, I'm looking forward to how it goes further. Um, TV is endless. Like, we thought 2022... Is going to be huge. TV is is going to be thing. I don't I don't even know what I could pick for for TV. I'm I'm wondering if any of the other geeks here have a TV series they're looking forward to. Yeah, I mean, I'll start off this. I wanted to, I mean, I've talked about it a few times before, mentioned how I'm a huge Whovian, but uh, I, this was one of the easiest questions to answer for this podcast because <laughs> what next year uh, stands for or means for Doctor Who fans in that it's the 60th anniversary of the show and we're getting the return of Catherine Tate and David Tennant as Donna Noble and the... For 10th Doctor, I guess. I I don't know. I can't wait to find out the story behind that. And then on top of that, we're also getting the introduction of Chuti Gatwa's Doctor uh, in the 15th. So many things I, can, I can't wait for that. And the fact that it's not only the show I'm looking forward to, to but all the tie-ins and promotions that are doing to, to celebrate the 60th. Like, coming to mind, the another thing I'm really looking forward to grabbing my getting my hands on and starting to open are a set of Magic the Gathering cards that will be featuring Doctor Who and some of the villains over the course oh. of the 60-year timeline. So just the fact that it's going beyond this massive special that I can't wait to watch, but to something I can go and collect and, and share with my, my friends who are also huge Whovians, I cannot wait for that. Well, and it's funny because when you first said the year for Hoovy, and I'm like, they're doing another Grinch that stole Christmas. Let's go. I'm ready. Thank you. Um, right, right. Slightly different. But I will say 
what a perfect year then uh, to bring Doctor Who to the Geek-Centric podcast. And, uh, you know, we talked off air about that possibility of, of doing something in that in that vein. And I'm really excited and, and intrigued to start to sort of dive into that because I, I will say, you know, every fan expo that I've ever gone to um, or really every convention, I think even at Star mm-hmm. Wars Celebration, mm-hmm. just seeing Daleks roaming all around the, the the floor. And I'm just like, what is up with these guys? I really want to know. I thought those were just big droids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they pretty much are. It's, I mean, one of the cool things about Doctor Who is like some of the stuff that they invented because of the budget and the restrictions at the time, like the Daleks being just rolling garbage cans, essentially. And they're one of the most deadly villains in the Doctor Who universe still to date is incredible. So like, that's one of the reasons why I love the show is because it is truly at its core, just solid sci-fi writing and stands the test of time. Like going back and watching some of those earlier seasons, the stories are just as well-written as some of the later stuff. So it's 60 years of an incredible show and I can't wait to celebrate with all Whovians around the world. Hoover, Hoover, Hoover. <laughs> oh, bring the Whovians together. That's so lovely. Uh, Meg, how about for yourself? What are you looking forward to this year? Well, I'm definitely looking forward to Across the Spider-Verse as well. Um, that's, without saying, it's going to be an incredible movie. Um, I'm also really excited for, just honorable mentions quickly, Elemental from Pixar. Oh, um, yeah. I haven't seen Lightyear yet, which is disappointing. <laughs> I should see it <laughs> right now. Um, but I know that Strange World was a little funky for some people. That And that's not Pixar. It's Disney. Um but Elemental, from the moment they released like images of character design, I was hooked. I'm so excited to see how they bring these like element characters to life and what city they live in and the story of like water falling in love with fire and all that. I'm so, so jacked for that. And Peter Son, um, uh, who's the voice of Sox in Lightyear, is the director of ah! Elemental, uh, which That's is cool. dope, which is dope. And yeah, and I'm I'm right there with you, Meg. I'm so stoked for that movie. It looks phenomenal. Yeah, and though Kevin made a statement about Margot Robbie, I am very excited for the Barbie movie. Yes, let's go. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that was I, no ill will against Margot Robbie. She just had a rough 2022. When she has, when you have 200 million dollar plus movies bring in like a combined five million dollars at the box office, you have yeah, not sucks. had a good year. <laughs> but I, but my, Barbie is going to change all that. I believe. Yes, it. yes, I have high expectations for that one. But my most anticipated any thing of 2023 I've been anticipating it since 2019 is Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom it is the next phase of the Zelda series it is the sequel to Breath of the Wild I've been waiting for this game since the uh, Nintendo Treehouse June 2019 when Ijeo Numa announced the sequel to Breath of the Wild was in production following an insane first trailer for a game I've done to Zelda what I sort of did to Star Wars, where I fell in love very late. The first Zelda game I ever played was Breath of the Wild, but I fell hard. I started studying the lore. I studied previous video games without playing them and their stories. (laughs) I watched Zelda YouTubers and their analysis videos, as well as predictions for new games. I went like headfirst into the Zelda universe rabbit hole oh yeah and i know more about this game than i really should have with the amount i've played but i cannot wait for this game i think i cried at the second trailer reveal and also the third 
<laughs> yeah, well, we were, Justin, you were talking about, like, just putting Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse on in the background is, like, a comfy thing to do. And <laughs> from what I know of Megan, she'll just have cutscenes or cutscene analysis just on, just over and yep. over and over again of Breath of the Wild. Um, what a difficult task. And it's only getting more and more, I think, for Nintendo, more difficult to live up to the longer that they keep taking with this game. And don't get me wrong, like I'm 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 totally on board with the take your time. You know, yep. don't this isn't worth uh destroying families, uh developers families over. <laughs> it isn't will. worth but you know what I mean? Like it's not it's 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 totally not worth the crunch. Um as as phenomenal as Zelda is, it you know, take take care of your your developers, but also get the game out at a certain time and the interesting thing with Nintendo is they usually are the team that they will hold off from a date because they don't like to push things back and so the fact that this has been pushed back every single time it does it just makes fans of the original Breath of the Wild game it it builds that anticipation even more and the tricky part with the game is I really do think it's going to be a Majora's Mask to an Ocarina of Time it is going to be iterative and the the more and more time that you you push the the sequel away, the harder I think the concept of the game just being iterative is going to be for some of the the fans of Breath of the Wild. Um, so I don't know. I think I mean they could literally just release Breath of the Wild. Like it could just be a Breath of the Wild to like you get two more. Uh, I don't know two more swords or something, and Megan's still going to be like, "This is the best thing in the world." Uh, well, but. Yeah. <laughs> But, but I'm really, <laughs> I'm right. I'm really intrigued to see how it turns out. I have high hopes for that game as well. I mean, you mentioned Majora's Mask, and that's kind of the only direct sequel in the Legend of Zelda storylines that ever has been released to this point. And it was received as a better game than Ocarina because it reinvented stuff with all the masks usage and stuff like that. And what we've seen in the trailers, I'm I'm getting this that same vibe where it's going to be very familiar, like you said, to Breath of the Wild. But the new mechanics that they will introduce, it will make exploring Hyrule new all over again. And I cannot wait for that experience because Zelda is one of my favorite game series too so I just I can't wait for more Hyrule well and the potential the different types of potential that this game shows us not only with like two different links that we could possibly possibly be playing as um the potential of playing as Zelda I'm crossing my fingers that we still maybe could I don't know but um yeah there's so many aspects to this sequel that I just can't and what's for. up with his arm he's got a robot arm or something what's going on with that arm that was actually something that was supposed to happen in Breath of the Wild it's oh. in the uh creating a champion that was a part of Link that they were going to add and why they decided to do this sequel is because they had so much content they were gonna fit into the first one that they couldn't they were like no let's make this quote-unquote simple just focus on the land and the uh, open world style of the game and let that speak for itself and then eventually we'll create a sequel to do all of this story stuff that they were going to do with breath of the wild wow see and i love it we are getting more into our gamey side um and i mean i don't think this is where you're going with your pick here but i don't know nate as our resident gamer, what are you looking forward to? Movie, TV show, game, whatever it is. What are you looking forward to most in 2023? Well, you know, I think video games uh, for 2022 and 2023 um, were outstanding. Um, I think, you know, just a quick shout out to God of War Ragnarok for just being m- my favorite uh, video game ever. 
uh, in the past, I'd say, f few years. Um, it's absolutely stellar. Um, but <laughs> also going forward, I think the Super Mario Bros. movie, how could it, like, when this was announced, we're all laughing, we're all giggling, like, oh, this is going to be terrible, and it just looks so incredible. The music <laughs> looks so incredible. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse uh, is, you know, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, like, Kevin, you were talking about how, how Pixar, for them to keep up with the demand of, of the expectations, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, was one of those things where I'm like, well, I've watched an animated movie before. And then you watch Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And it's like, how is this the first time I'm seeing something like this? Like, how have I lived this long? And then this is just a holistically, like, brand new style of animation was so inventive. And I'm so interested to see what they do with Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. But the number one thing I'm looking forward to in 2023 is also Spider-Man. It's Insomniac's Spider-Man two uh i'm i'm praying it actually happens in 2023 i'm really hoping <laughs> that it doesn't get pushed back um you know the first game came out about five years ago in 2018 uh, and then two years later they gave us in my opinion an even better game with an even better protagonist uh and that's spider-man miles morales um it's honestly i think probably my favorite game to just literally move around in the swinging mechanics <laughs> are unbelievably good. Why did they bother to put a fast travel system in that game? I never use used it, it once. Didn't yeah, I never use it. Used it. You yeah. don't need to. You, <laughs> you, you just swing. You yeah. never want yeah. to. I, there was never a moment where, where they would be like, it's across the map. And I'd just be like, let's freaking go. I'm going to swing go. through this water <laughs> tower. I'm going to run on this wall. And I'm going to like freaking, it was so parkour. So good. So parkour. Um, and so I think I'm, I'm so excited for the sequel um, I'm stoked to have a story with both Peter and Miles playable uh, in the same story. Uh, I'm excited to see how they bring Venom into the mix. And I really hope we get, uh, you know, a fantastic sort of team up moment. I think, you know, the hype moment of In No Way Home when all three Peters are swinging off of each other's webs. Like, I want that in gameplay. Like, give me that. You will get that. It's, oh, please, we'll get please. That. I yeah. hope so. <laughs> no, but I, I just platinumed. God of War Ragnarok. I've the only other games in the past few years that I've platinumed have been Spider-Man and Spider-Man Miles Morales. And so <laughs> they're such rewarding games, not only to finish, but to collect and do everything. And just even after unlocking everything, the fact that I would still spend like hours swinging around in that game, it just, again, it's such a testament to how well it's made. Yuri Lowenthal, Naji Jeter are excellent as Peter and Miles. And I just, I feel like they, th those games are a love letter to Spider-Man in general. Much like how Spider-Man uh, Into the Spider-Verse and most likely, definitely, Across the Spider-Verse will be. Um, they're just so good. And I'm excited to see these characters in that movie as well. Um, but no, Insomniac is so incredibly talented. And the fact that they're working on a Wolverine game that could mm -hmm. end up being, you know, a future looking forward to, uh, you know, for 2024, 2025, whenever that game comes out. Um, it's just wild. So fall 2023 cannot get here soon enough. Please let it actually swing into 2023 and not <laughs> swing into 2024. Um, but maybe it'll be the same thing on my list next year. 
See, I don't know why, but if I was going to predict, I, w- I was going to predict that you were going to pick a game that you were looking forward to for this year. Uh, now, if people were trying to predict what I'm looking forward to, I imagine they'd ex- expect I was going to dust off my fedora, crack my <laughs> trusty rip. See what I did there? Um, you know, Harrison Ford is my favorite actor of all time, and Han Solo and Indiana Jones are my all-time favorite movie characters. So to say I'm excited for Indy 5 and a second chance to give a proper farewell to the screen icon, uh, you know, that, that's an understatement. That said, I'm also a huge Disney nerd, a huge Magic Kingdom nerd, and a huge Haunted Mansion wow. nerd. I am so desperate for somebody to finally make a good Disney ride adaptation. The joke of a movie that was the Eddie Murphy Haunted Mansion movie from 20 <laughs> or 2003 was the equivalent of the worst video game adaptions. Uh, the Rock's Jungle Cruise movie from last year was fine, but like barely fine. Like I didn't hate it, but I also don't remember it at all and likely won't ever watch it again. Uh, I think this is the one. This has the chance. With a solid cast, including Jamie Lee Curtis, Winona Ryder, Owen Wilson, Danny DeVito, Lakeith Stanfield, Rosario Dawson, Dan Levy, Tiffany Haddish, and Jared Leto is the freaking hatbot ghost. My expectations are sky high. Uh, not to mention the movie was written by D.V. DeVincentis, who, uh, who's written on American Crime Story uh, and wrote one of my favorite movies from the early 2000s, High Fidelity. Uh, I have a feeling... I have a feeling this could end up my biggest disappointment of 2023, <laughs> given how much I'm looking forward to it. But I really hope I'm wrong. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, there's there's so much lore behind that ride. It's funny, like I've I've talked about how I like extended universes stuff, and there's a brilliant series of novels called Kingdom Keepers, and then even comic books called uh, Keys to the Kingdom or something like that. And they all explore the the mythos behind the haunted mansion and why there are so many ghosts. And there are some really engaging and cool stories there that they could dive into and adapt for the screen. So I'm right there with you saying, I, I hope they do this ride justice because again, there is such a lore to the ride. It's kind of funny that there is, the story is you're just going through a haunted house, but there's so much more to it than just that. And I love it. And like, and I, I can say, if there's anybody that I know that is as big a fan of the Haunted Mansion, all things Haunted Mansion, it is you, Darce. So yeah, this is this is our movie of the year oh, yeah. that we're looking for to look forward to. I'm stoked. I, I'm, I'm excited to be on that ride in about three weeks' time in sunny Florida. That's going to mm-hmm. be wonderful. Can't wait. Shit, that's what I'm looking forward to most. No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, but that was a lot of fun. That is it, folks. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our look back and forward into the world of entertainment. Uh, we'd love to know what was your favorite show or movie of 2022. What left you feeling the bitter taste of disappointment, like like the longing for a delicious McRib? Uh, and what are you looking forward to most in the upcoming year? Uh, again, we'd love to know, so hit us up at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com, or if that's so 2022 and you're in a 2023 mood, hit us up on Twitter at GeekCentricYT or on Instagram at wearegeekcentric. As I mentioned, 2022 was an incredible year for us. Again, 145 episodes, all available for your listening pleasure, ranging from interviews to movie and TV reviews to watch clubs and so much more. Uh, so go check those out. Uh, we're just getting started. We can't wait to show you what we have planned for the upcoming year. Uh, to start things off, we've begun our watch club for season two of The Bad Batch. So if the force is strong with you, go and check that out. And stay tuned for just a barrage of movie reviews, friendly competitions, including our annual Oscar predictions, convention coverage, and interviews with some of the actors and creative minds behind our favorite productions. But until next time, Meg, Darcy, Justin, Nate, 
Thank you so much for joining me on today's show. And as we say, love ya. Bye. Laters. Get home safe, guys. Peace.